I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You're listening to the FT Money Show, brought to you by Investors Chronicle and FT Money. Hello and welcome to the FT Money Show. In today's programme, we're looking at annuities, how to put off buying one of these when you retire and end up with a better income. Leaving money to children, is it really a good idea to leave them very large sums of money? And we have some good news and bad news for investors because of EU regulations. So all of that coming up in the programme and uh, I'm going to be guiding uh, you through that. I'm Matthew Vincent from FT Money and I'm here with my colleagues Steve Lodge Hello. and Richard Anderson. Hello. Before we come on to those items this week's money news and uh, a few days ago steve um we had uh, another announcement about tax this is after pre-budget report didn't get a huge amount of coverage but it's actually quite important isn't it oh indeed far more important than that cgt stuff that was making everyone scratch their heads remember cgt abolition of taper relief abolition of indexation move to an 18 percent rate fine park that to one side the really important taxes though are changing from april as well Income tax, 10% ban being scrapped. 22% ban, the basic rate tax ban, coming down 2p in the pound to 20p in the pound. And in addition, national insurance is going up through the roof for anyone earning over 40 grand, another 500 quid. The package, though, as ever, is incredibly complicated and you need to sort of crunch the numbers and you actually, it actually turns out that most people, most people on a, decent, on a good income are winners. But... Like you say, it's quite confusing. Why can't they just announce this all at the same time? Well, there was a technical reason. The pre-budget report was early, and some of the numbers depended on the indexation, the inflation linking of allowances from April. So forget that. It was boring. Um, you might say they're just not very good as announcements. You know, frankly, as we've discussed before, CGT, the CGT changes are generally good news for private investors. These changes as well are generally good news for uh, well-to-do people, listeners, and especially private investors, because of, they benefit from the tax changes, but they don't lose out from the national insurance because they've got that nice old-fashioned thing that the leisure classes benefit from called unearned income. Yeah, well, CGT, capital gains tax, I suppose that was the one that got all the sort of headline coverage after the pre-budget report. But the income tax and the national insurance changes, they're going to have far bigger impact far more widely, aren't they? Oh, indeed. Classic pub quiz stuff. You know, what's the biggest tax in the country? Well, it's not council tax. It is income tax, number one. Number two, 
National insurance. Yeah, well, everyone thinks that isn't a tax, but yeah. it, it is a oh, tax. Tax, <laughs> tax by another name. Tax by another name. You, it obviously, it does qualify for you for certain benefits, not least, most importantly, the state pension and all those other things, job seekers allowance, etc., etc. But in reality, it's not a terribly good return for many people's money, but it is income tax by another name. And, of course, part of these changes, which are actually a two-year, to make it even more complicated, they're going to be further changes next year, they're actually going to align the top of the national insurance limit with high-rate tax, but don't even ask about that. I'm not, I'm not going to ask about that. I'm going to, I'm yeah. going to ask pub quiz questions three and four, yeah. which are far more straightforward, which is, first, who are the big winners? Big winners. Amazingly, or well, not amazingly, oddly, Wealthy people, earners and people with unearned income. So big winners, wealthy pensioners, hurrah, um, high earners, and we're talking there, anyone over, earning over about 40 grand, and buy-to-let investors yet again. Yeah, so well, big winners seem to be the, the better off. Um, pub quiz question four is, uh, okay, who are the big losers? They've got to be some. Bizarrely, for a, and, and remember these changes were announced by Gordon Brown, when he was chancellor in the spring, and by a new Labour government, it's the poorer people. It's people on incomes of 10, 15 grand, whether retired people or working people. Now, the answer, says the government, is, oh, tax credits, if you can get your head around them. The answer, of course, in practice is other top-ups as well. Don't forget, a basic state pension has been treated a tad more generously in recent years. I know I'm going to get endless letters about that. But basic state pension, gone are the days of a 75p increase and all these other top-ups and benefits and so on. So there are ways around that. And to be fair, the losers are losing less than the, the, the winners are gaining. Now, I know that's not much compensation, um, but you are talking small beer at the lower end, you know, absolute maximum 200 quid, whereas at the top end, you're looking at 800 quid or a thousand. Of course, they they don't need the money, do they? Steve, am I being overly cynical? I mean, as you said, this this is uh, the most important tax, and and most people, obviously not the wealthy, but most people lose out. Is that the reason that that it wasn't announced in the pre-budget report? Are they just trying to slip this through so no one notices? Well, I think there is probably an element of, of that politicking. Uh, yes, I think, I think there is. But I think this technical point is important, that they simply didn't have the, they simply didn't have the inflation numbers for the personal allowance. Frankly, they haven't made much of it. But in the round, a lot of people do benefit. I think the real issue is tax credits are an absolute nightmare. They, I don't think anyone claims they're an efficient way of topping up the incomes of people who otherwise lose from tax and national insurance changes. They are in a very expensive, very bureaucratic, very wasteful way of bringing these people up to a certain minimum income level. Um, now, many, many listeners may not be subject to tax credits. Again, more letters, please. <laughs> um, but um, the reality is, for a lot of people, these changes are good news. I still think it's daft that billions in tax credits go unclaimed every year. Mm. Um, And billions more are overpaid, and then they have the cheek to ask for them back? Yeah, exactly. So, as you say, it's bureaucratic, it's complicated. Wouldn't it just be so much simpler if basic rates of income tax was made fairer? There wasn't a requirement to claim tax credits, and then the whole system could be understood by everybody. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the change towards a single 18% CGT rate and maybe a change to an income tax, income tax rates of 20 and 40, we're heading down that road that 
economists talk about, the, the, the flat tax world. Flat tax is simpler, more efficient, gets rid of this army of tax advisors and people constantly looking for ways of saving 2p in the pound here and 1p in the pound there. Um, so, yes, tax credits are the huge anomaly in all this. Yeah, well, you say you're... Well, say we're heading down the road to simpler tax. Richard, do you think we're going to get to the end of the road ever? I don't. Uh, I doubt it. Um, they'll always uh, they'll always come up with ways of eking out the few extra pounds that they need here and there. Obviously, the, the government borrowing requirement is, uh, mm-hmm. as we all know, is, is going up and up. So they're going to have to get the money back somewhere. Well, exactly. I mean, the, the problem is that transition is so so frightfully complicated. You know, hence all the discussions we've had about CGT. Mm. You know. Let's not even go down the route of inheritance tax. No, let's not. In <laughs> fact, <laughs> we'll, we'll come on to we'll come on to that a little bit later in the program. But yeah, it still seems enormously complicated. So, um, if you want to send an email uh, or a letter to Steve, he seemed to be inviting them uh, just now. Remember, you can uh, you can send them to ask at ft dot com. Um, just make the subject complicated tax question for Steve. Still to come. In the programme, should you leave all your worldly goods to your children or would they be better off without? And we have that good news and bad news for investors about the new EU regulations. But first, annuities. Um, Now, Richard, your um, colleague on Investors Chronicle, John McLeod, he's been looking into annuities uh, for some time now, um, even though I think he has several decades to go before he'll ever need to to buy an annuity to provide a pension. Uh, What's he been finding out about them? He's been looking into these new annuities called third-way annuities, and we've just been talking about the the over-complexities of the tax system, but annuities are incredibly inflexible. Up until uh, just very recently, you basically had very little choice. You had to uh, hand over all your worldly possessions, or certainly your financial possessions, to your annuity provider, and if you died, then all your money was gone. We've seen the introduction of ASP, but now come along these third-way annuities. Um, The Treasury has said it's very supportive in principle of the concept, but in the pre-budget report... It, nothing was said to, to encourage them at all. So John went to talk with Peter Quinton from Provider Living Time to find out just how useful these new annuities can be. So Peter, um, I believe that you were disappointed with the review of the open market option annuities that was published in the pre-budget report. Yes, I was a little. I was hoping that there'd be more um, you know, finite definition on what was going to happen and when it was going to happen and some timelines and that uh, only 35% of people are currently using it, and I thought that would give a really strong steer as to when they want to resolve. So, obviously, the, the issue is that people aren't necessarily aware of the, the alternative annuity-type products that they could be using. Yes, I think that there's two key things here. One, if people do shop around, they can increase their income by up to 20% or more. Uh, secondly, that a lot of people aren't aware of the new-style products that have entered into the market, such as fixed-term annuities. Um, and these have primarily entered due to the longevity that's occurring in retirement. One person out of 10 in age 65 will live to be 100 now. So instead of locking in for a lifetime annuity, people will probably start to switch to shorter-term products in the early years of retirement. But I believe that for the flexible annuities, often the issue there can be if you have a shorter life expectancy, that, that's where they can really play, uh, have an advantage. Yes, those that, who are impaired or enhanced could get a lot higher rates if they did shop around and move into those areas, and even smokers can get better rates. Um, the, most people now are becoming impaired and enhanced later in life, and when they first retire in their 60s, early 60s, they're quite healthy. But by the time they get to 75, they're probably less healthy. So again, it's sort of um, the steer is towards you know, flexibility in retirement rather than locking in 
right at the outset at the point of retirement. So c could you just explain a bit, a bit more about how the flexible, uh, flexible or fixed term annuities work, that, that they push back? The, the, yes, the, the new products that have come into the market in the last year or so are so-called the third-way um, products are in two categories. One is where they've got a fixed term and everything is guaranteed for the term and they've got a maturity amount at the end of the term, um, such as the living time plans. And those are like just cutting an annuity into different segments and letting you shop around completely at the end of each term and choose what annuity you want, if you want to go back into another term annuity or if you want to go into drawdown, etc. So it's giving you complete freedom at the end of each segment to redefine your benefits. The others are similar, but they have investment risk attached to them. And those are the other products that have come into the market, such as MetLife, Lincoln, Hartford, etc., which are entering those who, people who still want investment risks, but again, want to keep their options open. So with this issue of investment risk, I mean, how would you say that um, the flexible annuities compare with um, drawdown, income drawdown, or the unsecured pensions it's now called? Well, the main thing is that last year, if we take last year as an example, 93% of the contracts sold were still fixed annuity rates. So the majority of the market, 9.6 billion odd, are still buying the fixed-term products. Although drawdown has been around for uh, since 95, the drawdown market itself is has grown quite significantly, but it's still very small in comparison to the annuity market. So these products really fit in two categories. They fit to those people wanting no investment risk at all, but those who want investment risk, the high net worth class, will probably move into drawdown. And those that want a little bit of risk will probably move into third-way products that have um, guarantees at the lower end and allow you some upside at the top end. That was Peter Quinton from Living Time. And for more on annuities, visit investorschronicle.co.uk. Still to come, we have good news and bad news on investor regulation. Before that, though, leaving money to children, or air care, as it's known by at least one uh, private bank. Steve, there was a new report um, in the last few days suggesting that this is not always a good idea. Um, why would that be? Well, this sounds like one from my parents. Um, after all the fuss about inheritance tax in recent weeks, you'd think the whole country actually wanted to leave their houses and all their savings to their children. Um, Many probably still do, but there's a new report out from Barclays Wealth which has found that more than a third of parents with investable assets of more than £100,000 think leaving large sums to children is a bad idea. Sounds like my parents. Um, <laughs> so to find out why and get some inheritance planning tips, Charlene Goff of FT Money spoke to Jeremy Arnold, head of the Barclays Wealth Advisory business. So Barclays Wealth has recently published a report that revealed some interesting new attitudes around um, people passing on wealth to their children. What were some of the main findings of the report? I think there were three main findings, really. I mean, the, the, first, the first point was that, um, you know, two-thirds of those people who were questioned agreed that financial security for their children was an important motivation in terms of them building up wealth. Now, I guess that that's not terribly surprising, but it but it's still you know a, a big percentage and and obviously a key point for families. I think the interesting point though was that a third of the people who were interviewed felt that it was not a good idea to leave large amounts of of money to children, and that is an interesting development. Another another point that came out was that um, you know from studies in the U.S. was was that Families are also um, making um, gifts to, to children under wills um, subject to a degree of conditionality, 
which is another interesting finding. I mean, conditionality in the sense that, you know, a child has to attain a, a college degree right. or some other such criteria before um, uh, attaining their inheritance. And, and if, they, if they didn't fulfil those criteria, would that mean they didn't get a penny or...? Um, I, 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 it's, it's difficult to know what the specifics are. I mean, I, I would say as someone who, who has drafted a number of wills in the past, I can see some quite, quite uh, challenging issues in terms yeah. of how, how you would structure um, gifts. But I mean, I suppose taken to an extreme, I mean, it could mean that if you had a class of children, you know, and one of them didn't make it to, to, in terms of getting a college education, that they might um, receive half their inheritance or, right. or, you know, could even be the whole lot. But I think that would be very extreme. It's a bit of an in incentive to work hard yeah. there. Yeah. And, and what do you think are some of the concerns that people have around leaving too much to their children? I think there, I think there are probably two principal concerns. I think the, the first concern is, is sort of self-motivation. You know, I think, you know, uh, there, is a, there is a concern that if children, you know, inherit a large amount and they can, you know, they don't have to work to acquire their first house or, or so on, that, that there is a disincentive in terms of finding their own way and getting, getting on the stepladder in terms of, you know, building up their, their own wealth and success. And I, and I think the other issue that, that is perhaps not so obvious is, is just the impact on on the children themselves in in terms of you know the, how how they feel about themselves going forward. And for people who are looking to pass on at least part of their uh, fortunes to their children, are there any practical tips that you would give them about areas they should look at to kind of maximise the value of that? I think I think that the one thing I would say is is that um, you know people need to think about it carefully. Um, and it, it's, a, it's a sort of trite thing to say, but I think you, you almost need to write down in your own, you know, with your own thoughts and in your own writing as to how you would want your wealth to devolve to your children. It's very easy when, when you talk about passing down wealth to, to talk to your lawyer um, and the lawyer immediately starts talking about the will and the types of provisions you should have in it and so on and so forth. But I think there is a first step, and the first step I think is often missed, where, where people have to think for themselves in terms of how they would want to structure their wealth passing down to the next generation, ignoring tax, ignoring legal structures. And it's not just about the will as well, is it? There's lots of things you can do during your lifetime um, to, to give money and actually see your children benefit from that. Oh, absolutely. And I, I think you're, you're absolutely right when you say, you know, see your children benefit. Because obviously one of the best ways of, of, of controlling how your children behave when they inherit wealth is for you to monitor it. And you, you've got a, a lot, a, you know, you're going to be in a much pe better position to do that when you're alive than when you're not. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, well, that's great. Thank you very much for your time. Pleasure. That was Jeremy Arnold of Barclays Wealth. And finally today, it's good news, bad news. From the 1st of November, new European regulations about financial services are going to come into force. And uh, as with all things European coming out of Brussels, they have a stupid acronym, MIFID, which actually stands for the Markets in Financial Instruments Directive. More importantly, they're going to affect the way you deal in shares and uh, place spread bets. Um, so, Steve, I can't believe there is any good news in anything coming out of uh, Europe, uh, but if it's there, what is it? 
Well, it's about the single market in financial services in Europe. So the hope is it will fuel cross-border competition between financial services companies so investors should see a wider choice and possibly better deals where they can invest. Um, they should find it more straightforward possibly to invest across Europe, perhaps to buy foreign shares, for example, and greater regulatory protection um, and increased transparency when they trade. Dealers, for example, will have to prove they obtain the best price for their clients and ensure the investments were suitable. Oh, that's, yeah, that's, that's the thing known as best execution, isn't it, which I've, yeah. uh, which I've been hearing about. I mean, that, that all sounds very good, getting, making sure you get the best price and you know, being able to see that you get the best price and having your stockbroker prove that's the case but um richard I, i'd never ever think that these things are as straightforward as they they seem there's got to be some bureaucratic bad news in there well there is potentially a well there is on paper anyway i'm not quite sure what the actual practical ramifications of it are but they will now classify your well, obviously when it comes in in november they will be classified either as a retail or a professional investor instead of the current situation where you're either private or intermediate and that what that basically means is if you are a professional investor all well and good you will not be so well protected but you will certainly have access to a full range of products especially when there's so many new products coming on the market hedge funds structured products very complicated products if you're classed as a professional investor no problem you can invest in them but if you're classed as a retail investor you can't actually buy these products which is obviously pretty bad if you want access to them yeah and well the vast majority of our listeners and readers are going to be private investors and so they they're going to be classified as as retail um what can they do it's very simple they basically they need to ensure that they are classed as professional investors as like you say they they won't be able to buy what they want to buy all they have to do is simply demonstrate to the intermediary whether it's a broker or an IFA that they're experienced and that they know exactly what these products are but i imagine it, it, that's going to that's going to take some time to do and involve a bit of paperwork so I would imagine yes, but again, all you have to do is demonstrate experience. So if you've been dealing in these products before, yeah. then there's no problem. I suppose your broker or your spread betting firm should have been contacting you over recent weeks anyway to to let you know about this. Because Steve, you've had some you've had some oh, correspondence from your an avalanche of paperwork. Um, I assume it's Mifid related. I mean, maybe it's about ideas. Well, and maybe firms are taking this opportunity to to identify. I suppose firms, in many ways, are just covering themselves, aren't they? They're saying. We'll check you are who you say you are, and then we'll check what you should be investing in. Yeah. So I suppose the the, the thing to remember is um, don't ignore the emails mm. and the letters that you get in yeah. the next few days. Well, at worst, I think accounts might be locked if people don't respond. So I think it, the sad truth is this this small print is worth looking at and just checking if you do need to do something. Yeah, so it's not just marketing bump. It actually could affect the way you deal. Could do, yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's a really important point. This is something you shouldn't ignore. I mean, most people, they get an email said Mifid, they just put it straight in the wastebasket. But, um, yeah, you can't afford to ignore this. Good advice. Well, it's not just good news and bad news um, at the end of the show. It's good news, bad news, sad news. Because uh, Not for me. <laughs> not for Richard. <laughs> because uh, um, after years of um, excellent um, service on Investors Chronicle and, indeed, on this very... Uh, program. Um, Richard's heading off to Pastures New. What's the plan? I'm off to to make my fortune and, and take advantage of, of all the excellent uh, tips that I've gained while I've been working here. So you'll come back as a guest you know, in, a, in a few months' time, having made your millions? 
Absolutely, although I presume it'll... Well, I say presume. It possibly will be the other way around, and I'll, uh, I'll be able to give plenty of advice about what not to do. <laughs> I heard a rumour you were going to make your ethical millions. Is that true? I would love to. I mean, I'd love to go into that, that whole kind of environmental, ethical world. Very at the uh, moment, Richard. Why, thank you. <laughs> Excellent. Well, we wish you all the very best of luck with that. Thank you and very say, much. And say a huge thank you for everything you've done on the programme. So um, that's all we have time for for this week's show. Remember, you can email your views and your questions to ask.ftyourmoney at ft.com. And uh, Steve and I will be back next week for another financial lowdown in downloadable form. But until then, it's, uh, it's goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from our podcast producers, Blue Barracuda. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited-edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.